0: This is Dave Pryor. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. I have two guests today. So Seneca Waugh from Your Clear Next Step is here to help my colleague Jeff Howie and I talk through a problem we've been running into in class. So this is something that comes up in class a lot. If you are new to being a Scrum Master or a Product Owner or you are somebody who is working in an environment where you don't feel like you have a lot of agency and power to drive change, this podcast is going to help you, we hope because Jeff and I are not doing that great a job with this particular topic. And so we reached out to an expert for help. So um, Seneca, how would you explain the work that you do and what your company does?
1: Well, first off, Dave, thanks so much for having me. This well, is thank such you a for joy being to here. Be. Yeah, it's such a joy to be part of this conversation. So when I think about what we do at Your Clear Next Step, we have a mission to help people have better work days so that together we can co-create better communities. And so all of the work that we do, it fits into the training and coaching and uh, connecting people to resources, kind of fits in that domain. Really anything that people do at work, whether it is uh, leading projects or influencing others or leading people or just getting better in their own space, uh, we do training and coaching to help people so that at the end of their workday, instead of driving home and being all miserable and, and defensive about crappy things that may have happened during the day, at the end of their workday, they know that communication flowed freely and they were able to have good conversations and their processes work. And, and you drive home, it turns out, with a little less baggage on your shoulders and uh, you, you, you get home a little bit safer. Maybe you tip the pizza guy a little more generously and uh, people volunteer in their communities when they have a little bit more discretionary time instead of feeling miserable about work. And then they go back on Monday refreshed, ready to do it again.
0: All right. Well, that's great. And I imagine that it it shifted a little bit recently because now instead of the drive home, they walk into the other room. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, it's even more important now because you don't get the decompression time.
1: Exactly. That's just it. You have to to make multiple trips back and forth from the bedroom to the (laughs) kitchen to get that commute in.
0: (laughs) Or in my case, yeah, I'm in a 600 square foot apartment with three people. Mm -hmm. We have three rooms in the apartment, so it's... We don't have a lot of commute
2: time there. Um, <laughs>
0: okay. So, and Jeff, how would you
2: explain what we do? I'll let you explain what you do. Um, Cause I think <laughs> we, we, we both live in this world of, you know, like educating others, giving them a lot of, you know, kind of knowledge and then helping to translate that into real day application. Uh, and so you know I know a lot of your focus is is really on you know kind of the the scrum master and the product owner and, and and those I think are are the foundation in terms of really getting an agile system of delivery running. And then I'm also interested in this conversation we're about to have from more of that like consulting and coaching perspective as well because and I know scrum masters and product owners really cross over that, but I'm even thinking as a coach, like an agile coach or a consultant working with, an organization and trying to move them along, um, you know, how, how do we do that? And that's really what we try to solve for is how do we give people the the information that they need to operate successfully in their day-to-day jobs, especially in an agile way of working. And then how do we get their leaders to really enable and create space for that to occur and, and help it to stay from going off the rails without necessarily being overly dictatorial about how they do the work.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I, that was good. I don't have a lot to add to that, except I guess, there's one thing I wanted to, to mention before we go into the conversation. We're gonna talk about specific situations people have brought up in class. But, um, so I'm looking at, at Seneca's link, at your LinkedIn profile, and you have this phrase here that really struck me when I saw it, because I think what I wear on the outside is the opposite of that. You, you're, you say you're a relentlessly positive coach, trainer, and speaker. And I am an, I am an optimist on the inside and a cranky old, (laughs) just, (laughs) I am the opposite of relentlessly positive pessimist, I guess, on the outside. But one of the things that's happened to me recently, I watched the show Ted Lasso and I'm like, I want that man in my head. I want Mm -hmm. to find a way to channel more positivity. And I think, spread that to other people, make them feel more empowered or find ways to help them find more empowerment for, for a spark for themselves.
1: Mm, for sure. For sure. The, the opportunity to bring others that moment of joy and that moment of realization that something good did happen today or something good can come out of this conversation or something good is possible if you apply these skills or these techniques or whatever they happen to, to be. And I think that has been such a joy for me is as a trainer and as a coach to sit alongside with someone and then watch them sort of light up and go, wait, wait, it's contagious, that positivity that you have. I can do this. <laughs> I can do this. So man, yeah. if we can hang out and I can rub off on you, I'm happy to. Yeah,
0: I I I always look at those moments like my hope is I can learn from everything, but I never connect it with a positive feeling. It, it's like it could be bad and I could learn from it. And as long as I can learn from it, I walk away satisfied. But it would be nice to be able to find more, um, I guess, more positive backstory for myself when I'm in these situations or for anybody. And that sort of goes into the topic. So that the, the reason I brought that stuff up is because I'm going to mention one very particular thing that happened in class. We teach CSM, CSPO classes. We teach agile classes. We teach people how to do all this stuff. And one of the things that happens a lot is we get folks who are fairly new to it, fairly early in their careers, who don't feel like they have a lot of, they're just not very empowered. I mean, they don't feel like they have a lot of agency. They don't come from a position of strength. They feel like they need permission. They feel like they have imposter syndrome. They're afraid to just stomp around the room. And we get into these conversations about things that happen in situations like daily scrums, like when some executive storms in. Or it does something, or when a person on the team exhibits bad behavior, we had a class recently where the, this person was like, "Well, what do I do?" And I'm like, "Well, I just don't let that happen." And they're like, "How?" I'm like, "You just stop them from doing it." And they're like, "How?" I'm like, "You tell them to stop." <laughs> and, and unfortunately, I, it made me realize that I've been, a, I've had things like that happen so many times. I don't know another way to handle it. I just literally say, "Stop doing that." Um, but that's not really great advice to give to somebody who is brand new to it.
1: That's like telling a, a young child to to go go make good choices. Yeah, well, just walk,
0: by- just just get up and walk. What's so hard about it? Exactly. Stop crawling around on the floor.
1: Just, just Get up and walk. <laughs> right.
0: So so that's but the thing is, I think there there are maybe for each of us, there's a point where you get so far down the path that you can't remember what you did back then. Yeah. and i don't really feel like i'm doing justice and i mean jeff's better at it than i am but i think we're not i don't know jeff do you want to you can chime in anywhere i feel like we're not giving these people what they need
2: i think well to, it, it's hard to give people what they need and i think that's you know kind of why we're pulling the experts like cine kind to of give us some advice on this and Uh, And and the cool part is Seneca is actually one of the people that helped mentor me through some of this over the years. And so knowing kind of where this will go, I think one of the things that I struggle with in those situations is I can give my personal stories and experiences, but my personality traits, my interactions um, don't always translate. And so sometimes we, we need these additional tools of... You know what what can we do and like your example of well just tell them you know don't do that Um, (laughs) stop and you know and and my experiences too is like well and and i'll go to things that i feel comfortable with which are a little different from yours but they would always translate to individuals as well like well you need to show them the data you need to have a one-on-one conversation with them and even in those situations it's hard because what do you do what do you tell somebody um, to help convince them, influence them to change a behavior or a, a activity or practice, when you don't really have any control over them, you—they're certainly in a lot of cases they may even outrank you on the organizational chart. So, like, what what do you do in those situations? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's funny to hear the examples that you've, you've already cited because some of those are absolutely the things to do. And in some cases, if you have a relationship with that stakeholder, you look at them and you say, stop doing that. And in other cases, if you know that that, that stakeholder needs to see the data and needs to understand the impacts or the effects of the, the interruption that they're having or the, uh, the things that they're doing, if they need to see the data to make a decision, then you show them the data. And there, there are others that need that one-on-one. There are others who are, who are not going to take the one-on-one directly from you. They're going um, to listen to you better if you say something like, well, my, our, our coach said this or our trainer said this or the experts say this. So you're going to have to borrow, borrow an audience, if you will, um, to borrow the influence from someone else. But they're all going to come back to that, that really primary idea, which is so critical for influencing others. Uh, first and foremost, we have got to master our emotional intelligence. We have got to. It is the number one key for influencing others is um, that emotional intelligence, which includes the the stages of self awareness and self management, and being aware of the others, and then that that fourth piece, which is relationship management, which is moving us forward to the best possible outcome. Yeah, I think about the the pieces of that, and and you're you're absolutely right, Dave. At some point, uh, you are self aware enough to say this is what I do, and this is what works with this set of stakeholders, and and that's great. That's a, a wonderful demonstration of emotional intelligence. And so I think we just need to offer more choices, more more options for uh, new. New leaders, new scrum masters, uh, new folks trying these conversations and this influence in the first place, and I think that emotional intelligence is is really the first place to start.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that about the self awareness part. I find when people talk about emotional intelligence, they always focus. They often focus on reading others. Yeah. Um, I there's there's something that when you were when you were talking through that that kind of popped up in my head. Two, two sides of it. One is that all the stuff you were mentioning about like, you know, some it's this situational leadership type approach. Like some people need data, some people need a story, some people need something else. The thing that I find with some of the folks in class that I pick up on is that there's a lack, I mean, regardless of whether well, I could give them all the data in the world and, and they don't feel like they have power. They don't feel like they have strength in that moment. And, and that is the thing where I'm like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to give that to somebody. I don't know how to coach somebody into that. And at the same time I'm thinking I'm a 51 year old white guy with like 25 years of this under his belt. How, what could I possibly have to offer somebody who's in their like early twenties and just getting started and isn't a white male? Like, I I don't even know how to have that. I I feel like as lost as they probably feel.
1: Oh, that's, that's wonderfully self-aware of you, Dave. Thank you. Um, as I'm, as I'm thinking about your your point about so many folks talk about emotional intelligence and they they jump right to the, the relationship piece, which is where you get to, but they forget that it is it is a linear process and you can't relationship manage until you are aware of the other. And you can't be aware of the other until you self-manage enough to get out of your own way. And you can't get out of your own way until you even know who you are. And so we really do have to start with our own um, and going back to that that young professional, that person fairly early in their career, okay, what have you got? What are your assets? How do you communicate? What are you good at? What are you not good at? Uh, what have you brought to this organization? What what skills and uh, results and passion or interests have you already brought that you can lean on to say, this is part of who I am and this is how it is demonstrated? Um as you as you think about that, that self-management, the kind of getting out of your own way, one of the pieces of that is the fear of, well, who am I to say something? Who who am I? I'm I'm just yeah, I'm barely down on the food chain. What what do I have? And I'll tell you, you've got a couple of things in your hip pocket. And and one of them is the ability to do your own job well and to co-create greatness around you. Right. That is a great influence tactic that that takes time. It doesn't happen in an instant. You can't say, okay, I'm creating a great environment now. I am clearly influential because I did this from 10 to <laughs> 10, 20. On Feel a 20. my
0: power. <laughs> yeah.
1: right? But that's got to be over time. But you can do that. You can be good at your job. You can get the training that you need and you can um, go to the, the professional development things and, and be involved in the professional networks and engage in the conversations online or virtually or in person, wherever they happen. You, you do that to get good at your own job and demonstrate your own capability and your competency there in your own space. No one's asking you to be good at running the company. They're asking you to be good at being a Scrum Master. So get good in that space. And then the other thing that is so, so useful is going to be putting the company first. And you can do this from any place in the organization. You can put the best interests of the company first and you do it out loud.
2: Okay. As as is talking about that, that really brings home the maybe some things that I I would try based on that advice. Like you know you you have some competence in something um, clearly, right? I mean, you've you've <laughs> so, moved this far that you're you're able to you know be a, a scrum master on a team or a product owner. So there's some trust involved with that, and so as you build your competency and, and you demonstrate tr- trust and you show results, that helps to gain a little bit of that you know. Agency with some individuals. The other side of that, I'm wondering is you know if you're, you're aware of yourself, you know, kind of highlight what you are good at and what you've done, operating in the best interest of you know kind of the the team, the company, uh, you know, with that context. I think Is there a part of this that also involves stepping outside of a comfort zone to some degree and trying and testing and and, and I yeah. know you want to do that in a situation where you know failure is not going to result in a career limiting move, but how much of that is involved in this kind of influencing situation where you don't have the, the ownership?
1: You yeah. bet. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Dave.
2: I, I wanted to k- kind of
0: add something to that. So there's this, and then it's a question for you, Seneca. There's a a thing that used to happen to me. And I kind of wonder if this is what's happening for some of these folks is in those like high stress moments early in my career, it was almost like panic, like, fight or flight panic. Like I couldn't think clearly. I couldn't see, I didn't know what to do. And I would just say stupid things. And then I'd be like, ah, I did it again. Um, but at a certain point I developed a mechanism where it's like, I'm kind of slow down my breathing a little bit and be aware of the moment. And I always think about it. If you read about like when professional baseball players if the batter's, the batter's swing begins before the ball is left the pitcher's hand. Um, in those moments when I see that stuff coming and I realize I don't know what to do with this, I try to remember to look at it like, well, this is weird and I feel completely inept and unprepared for this moment. Like what's an experiment I can run right now? Um, Try to use it as an opportunity to, like Jeff said, to learn, to test something out. But that, I don't know. I don't know if that's like too much to ask or if people are in a panic state to just like catch their breath and think of a thing to try and not worry about succeeding or failing.
1: You know, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and Jeff, this ties to your question as well, as, is on the risk-taking. So I think especially for the, the folks earlier in their career who are really, they're stuck, and they're, they're just not sure, um, that encouragement to, to take a little risk, to try some different approaches, to, to try some different techniques, but I don't think you try them in that moment of panic uh, okay. blind. I think you try them out in your head in advance, I think you do some planning, uh, you anticipate. Uh, One of the tools that I teach in a couple of my emotional intelligence classes of one of my project management classes is a um, communication planning tool that says before a communication that matters, right, with a capital M. Uh, Not all of them matter, right? They're sure every conversation is supposed to build a relationship or conduct a, a transaction, but some of them really matter with a capital M. And if you know you're going into a communication that matters with a capital M or that you could be going into one of those, then you plan in advance for um, what are the things that could happen, and what are the outcomes that would be best for you and best for the other party, and what are the outcomes that would be best for the organization as a whole, and what are some strategies. And, and you can bounce ideas off other people who have maybe been there and done that or worked with so-and-so before or been in a similar situation. And you kind of get a list of, of seven or eight things you could try. So, that then, Dave, in that moment when you're taking that deep breath and you're, you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, well, I'm not totally inept here. I have some skills and I'm going to rely on those skills and uh, I'm going to try this one. But it's not like you're having to come up with it from scratch. You're coming up with it yeah. from a, a planned and intentional set of options.
0: I like what you said about the skills. And, the, and, and when you mentioned it before, I was thinking about like somebody emptying their pockets out on the desk and like, well, I'm good at this and I'm good at this and I'm good at this. How can I use the... Because I mean, you might have stuff you're really good at that has nothing to do with the job that you're in. But what can you use? Like, I, for me, when I tr- used to try to be a musician, I had a lot of... I mean, I'm not a musician. Like, I wanted to be one, but I wasn't good enough and I didn't practice enough and I'd get on stage and it was like, survive the song. That, that directly influences how I teach because I'm fixing those behaviors. Like, uh, getting aware of things I'm good at, things I'm bad at, and trying to tune them up in the moment or, or picking those those battles to fight.
1: But the if you can find opportunities to do that in a safe way, so as you just alluded to, switching it up, right, the way you teach today is, is in response to things that you did before that you want to do differently. Yeah. So if you can try things safely with team members, uh, perhaps you're a, a new scrum master and, and you want to you try something, try something with a colleague and another Student who went to the class, for example, when you sat in class and, and met someone else and um, brainstorm with them about how something like that might work. Talk to your own resource manager about uh, ideas of how you might approach a particular situation or things that you're worried about. And especially within internal conversations, in all of those where you can tie back the conversation somehow back to what's in the best interest of the organization. yeah, Not what's best or easiest for me or you, but what's best for the company, what's best for our organization. That really goes a long way towards increasing our influence.
0: So you've, you've mentioned that a couple of times. Can you talk more about why that's so important?
1: Sure. Uh, it's the, from, a, from an emotional intelligence and an influence standpoint, Putting the good of the business first is one of those things that kind of sets us apart. So many of us, uh, right, unless we're trained or we receive divine intervention, we wake up every morning tuned in to WeFM, what's in it for me? Yeah. And so we wake up each morning thinking about what do I want out of this day? What am I going to wear today? You know, what's today going to hold for me? And we get to work and it's the same way. Everybody around us is tuned into their own version of WeFM. And the only thing that brings us together is that that organization that we've chosen to be part of. And that could be a a volunteer organization or a, a company that we've chosen to work for. But that should be the thing that brings us together. That becomes that common ground that we can stand on even through disagreements. It becomes the the measure by which we can make good decisions and evaluate: is this decision a good one, or you know, is it better or worse for the company? And it becomes one that people then start to take notice because it's different. It yeah. is immediately able to build influence because that's that's not what people do, and and people recognize that, and, and certainly organizational leadership recognizes that.
2: I had as you re- as you're saying that I'm I'm thinking through the uh, especially in context of a lot of the training and coaching that we offer, right? It, it's based on a, <clears throat> it's based on a known set of, or even documented practices and behaviors, you know, whether it's from the scrum guide or it's a generally accepted practice around how you operate, you know, say sprint planning or daily standup or any of these. And oftentimes I even find myself going to, well, this is the way it works, um, you know, based on the knowledge or the experience or even the scrum guide. This is not who shows up at the daily scrum. You know Why is your manager there inserting a whole bunch of work where well, they shouldn't even be there? Thinking about how to give some advice to those who are in those situations, that particular statement, tie it back to, instead of like the scrum guide or some behavior or what you did at your last company or your last team, mm-hmm. here's how this is translating your your current behavior is is maybe having an impact that is not as useful as we would all love. Here's something to think about that would be better for us in terms of how we get our work done, how we collaborate, showing how teams can empower and you know work more closely with one another. And here's what we would look for you as you know this this person we're trying to influence whether it's a leader or some other or individual to help that team meet those goals. And so I think that's something that I could take away from this right away and say, you know, let me, let me not think about what the scrum guide says, but how does this actually improve what we do as a team, what we're trying to achieve as a company, uh, and then use that to, to drive that, that conversation.
1: That's exactly it, Jeff. It's, it's not saying, well, the, the scrum guide tells me to, or um, this is what I learned in class. There are cases where that can be useful, but really it, it's, it's twisting it around and saying, okay, based on what I know and based on this organization that we have chosen to be part of and that we're, we're serving and the customers that we're serving in the long run, here's what would help us achieve those goals, or here's what would help us deliver value to our customers.
0: Are, are there emotional, I'm sort of still st- stuck in one of the things you we were talking about earlier. Are there emotional intelligence exercises or practices or things you would recommend that people can do to do that sort of self-inventory and find their hidden strengths that they can use to like boost themselves up when people talk about feeling imposter syndrome or whatever that is?
1: You bet, you bet. So when you think about self-awareness, that first that 1st piece is really discovery. It's about discovering who I am and what I'm good at and what ticks me off and what makes me tick and uh, what lights me up and what lights a fire under my tail. It's, it's really thinking about those things. And there, there are a handful of resources that we have available on our website that are just sort of self-inventory things. Anytime you get involved in any of the emotional um, or the the conversation or communication profiling tools like DISC or HBDI or Myers-Briggs or any of those, take advantage of the opportunity to listen to those, to pay attention to those, but then also engage in opportunities to hear someone else's perspective. So you hear not just your uh, your own set of data and your own results for you, but you can also then compare it and contrast it to someone else's results for themselves, and you okay. can start to see where your differences are. I think from a, a skill standpoint, if we all stop and realize that we were selected, whatever job we're in, someone picked us. So someone picked us for a reason. What, <laughs> what was it that we applied for that job for? You know what, what was that characteristic? Go back to that. Uh, you know, if you've got nothing else that you can have the confidence in, you you've got someone picked you for this job. So start with that and figure out why. And then co-create greatness. What if you think of yourself as that person who can help make it better right where you are, help yeah. make it better for your team, help make it better for the organization, help make it better for your customers? That then empowers, because now you're not doing, um, from, from an emotional intelligence standpoint, now you're not doing something um, to, to say that I'm better or I'm cool or I'm doing this for me. It's, yeah. it's setting yourself aside and doing it for others, okay. which winds up with a, just a great result.
0: And is it, is it okay for them to feel weak at times?
1: Well, I hope it's okay because I, I do.
0: Good. I'm I mean, glad you, I wanted yes. to hear you say it. I knew I thought that's what you're gonna say, but I wanted I wanted to be somebody other than me. Oh
1: yeah. man, if any one of you listening to this or any of the folks that you train in your classes are, are thinking, um, man, I that person is perfect or gosh, I'm nearly perfect. I it just doesn't happen that way. We are broken, fallen critters and we have good days and we have bad days. And I think one of, the, one of the things we know about emotional intelligence is that part of it can give you some really great perspective for resilience.
0: Yeah. So
1: that self-management, uh, the, the deep breathing, the reflecting, the, um, in, in a lot of the anxiety kind of conversations people might refer to the um, sort of calling BS on the, the negative thoughts that are coming their way. Like, I'm trash. No, I'm not trash. I've just had a crappy moment. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm worthless. No, I'm not worthless. This, this was not a great example of effective communication but I'm not a worthless human. And it's um, that that resilience allows you to be aware that you're gonna have crappy days and you're gonna make mistakes and that's okay. Pick yourself back up and keep moving forward and and keep trying other things and then learn from it. If if you fell from learning something or fell trying something, that doesn't mean avoid it altogether. It means, okay, what didn't work about this and how do I try it differently? Or what do I need to tweak? Or how do I adjust my tone of voice, for example? Or, or even my body posture. How do I adjust that the next time I'm talking to this person?
0: That that reframing thing has become huge for me. And in, t- in terms of me trying to move towards being a more positive person and seeing things and feeling gratitude, I, mm-hmm. I spend time at the end of the day thinking about all this stuff. Like that, like go, "Why did that happen that way?" And like trying to look at it like a gift. Like, what did I get from that? Like, what could I have? And finding things that are positive that I can take out of each one of those situations, even the moments when I feel lost and like, I don't know what I'm doing.
1: Absolutely. Every day that I end smarter than I started it is a good day. I would prefer the ones that that happens in an easy way and not a, you know, fall flat on my face kind of way. <laughs> but every day I end smarter than I started it is a good day.
0: Yeah. Cool. All right. Thank you for talking to this. Jeff, do you have any other questions you want to add to this or scenarios you can think of?
2: I was going to ask a, a question or a scenario in it, it ties a little bit to this you know how how do i maybe prepare for those conversations it's and, and so i'm curious if there's some additional perspective you'd offer on this but like i find myself if i'm trying to get ready for one of those whether it's difficult confrontational something where i'm trying to influence i'm stepping out of my you know kind of space and learning to know you know here's what i can draw upon Here's what I'm trying to achieve. Um, I I think there's a lot of people that they rehearse that in their head over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And in in some situations, uh, I I think maybe that sometimes leads to its own set of anxieties. Um, Is there a balance between like because you know like I I definitely gravitate toward that. I'm going to rehearse it like 16 times, and maybe in the middle of the night when I wake up, you're worried about tomorrow's conversation. and then I see others who are very comfortable going in and just kind of, you know, acting off the cuff. Like, what? what's some advice on on how to use um, that and, and maybe meet in the middle of the, the prepared versus off the cuff?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'll offer a couple of, of tips on this one, and you can sort of pick and choose which ones will be most useful for you. Um, one of them, I'm going to go back to the idea of, of facilitation, and in facilitation, they they teach us four to one as far as preparing for uh, facilitated event. So if it's a one hour, you need four hours to prep for it. And so maybe using the four to one formula in the back of your head for, for how much time I'm going to prep, how many times I'm going to role play it or how many minutes I'm going to spend prepping it, maybe that's a number that will work for some. There are some people that do have to have it scripted and uh, they write it out and then they memorize it. And the tricky part with that is when the other person doesn't play their part of the dialogue. <laughs> you <know?
2: laughs> <Yeah>. You're screwed. <laughs> right.
1: Ah, What do I do? So you're you're
0: doing me, it wrong. You're supposed to see this.
1: <laughs> Don't you see? I'm on page two here. <laughs> yep. Um, so in maybe a couple of options, maybe a couple of Phrases that you can keep in your hip pocket to redirect. And I see, I, I hear what you're saying, or I understand, or thank you for sharing, or thank you for helping me understand that. Can I focus us back on this other piece? So maybe some redirect phrases. Um, here's here's another when you're when you know you're going into a tough moment or a difficult conversation. This is, especially in this world where we're virtual in so many cases, having your beverage handy is not a bad idea. And in this case, I'm going to advocate for water. And let me tell you why, is if you can pause for a second, and and even if you're know, face-to-face have, take a drink of your water, or if you're not face-to-face and you're just voice-to-voice, say out loud, excuse me a second, I just need to take a sip of my water, or, or cough, or, or clear your throat in a way that it's clear that that's what you're doing it turns out that the few seconds that we take to take a sip of water refocuses our brain enough that we can get out of that churn of anxiety just a little bit it'll it'll reframe us especially if we can take the six seconds to do it take six seconds take that drink of water and uh refocus your brain the other thing and and stop yourself before you say dumb stuff which is really really useful right it's um but the other thing is that most of us are walking around underhydrated. And our brains are not working as well as they should if we're not properly hydrated. And so if you drink those that sip of water, you're reactivating and, and re-energizing your brain function. And so that will help you on the other side. So just a, I don't know, a couple of tips that I've found useful in that.
0: Can I add one to the beverage thing? Sure. Um, one of my things that I've always tried to coach on, which is not... Maybe not the healthiest, but if you're in a meeting like with other people in a physical space and you really can't get it together, spill something on the table. <laughs> because that's a full stop. Like you're going to get a reset out of that one way or the other.
1: Um. <laughs> that's great. What a great hack. <laughs>
0: <Good>. <laughs> cool. I really appreciate you taking time to talk through this with us. This was very, very helpful. And I hope that it's helpful for the folks that are listening um, because I know that sometimes it's hard to. It's hard to see things from other people's perspective, but maybe this will give them some approaches they can try to develop this stuff for themselves. Um, what if people want to reach out to you to find out more about Your Clear Next Step or the work that you do?
1: You bet. Thank you. So the website is yourclearnextstep.com so just reach out to us there. Uh, when you get there, you can discover whether you want to follow the path of an individual or representing an organization. And uh, we serve churches as well, but um, that's really the best place to start our um, start there and see what we can do. We offer training and coaching and resources, and we got lots of blogs out there and podcasts and a variety of other resources that are available because we just want to help people have better workdays. So if you're looking, if, if you heard me talk about the communication planning tool perhaps, or some of the uh, emotional intelligence classes or uh, some of the, the quick tips, there's a bunch of information in blogs uh, as well as downloadable infographics and, and things you can get from there. We just want to help people have better work days.
0: I think it's awesome that you're offering emotional intelligence classes. That's great that that's there, that that's a resource for people.
1: You bet. Taught one yesterday, in fact, had 21 people who ended the day more emotionally intelligent than they started it.
0: Well, thank you on behalf of the universe for doing that, because I'm sure it makes everybody better at their interaction. Um, Jeff, what if people want to get in touch with you?
2: Easiest way to get in touch with me while I figure out if I'm ever going to have a blog or a podcast or a website. <laughs> just is just call Dave. Call, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> um, call Dave. Yeah, or, or LinkedIn's a good place to, to check me out there. <laughs> all right. Well, cool. And thank you all for listening. If you've got any
0: questions you want us to, to take on or situations you're facing, you can just send them to me. There's a link in the show notes. Um, and thank you both for taking time to do this.
1: Thanks so much for having me.